I appreciate those songs this morning, uh, worship in the center of worship being around the love of God demonstrated through the cross and then our response to that being that we love God because we recognize what he did for us. That, that, uh, I want to start there today because that's, that's a great place for us to start. We've been talking about, um, about knowing God and how that affects the way that we act and for, out of 1 Timothy. Uh, we're talking about how a relationship with, with Jesus and a, and a true understanding of the gospel affects the way we, our, we live our daily lives. And, and Paul is telling Timothy there's some very specific ways that it'll, it will affect you. Uh, but I want to go kind of back to the core of what he's, what he's saying here. The problem with the church at Ephesus was that um, there were teachers who were trying to say that the gospel, the good news of Christ, was not enough. It wasn't enough to, uh, to motivate them to act right. It wasn't enough to, uh, to get them favor with God. It wasn't enough to, uh, to carry them through life. Uh, that, that they also had to add to the gospel a bunch of good works. And so we've been kind of using three stands as an example over the last few uh, weeks. Uh, this stand being, representing uh, that, legalism. The rules and regulations that the Pharisees kept trying to push on and religious rules kept trying to push on uh, the Jewish people anyway who were in Ephesus saying, no, it's okay, you know, it's fine that y'all believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but don't forget, you also have to be circumcised, follow the feasts and the festivals, and be careful what you eat. You know all the rules. Everybody with me? We know what the rules are, so don't forget about the rules. And, uh, and then, you know, you have pagans over here who have no idea uh, what Jesus is all about. And they were certainly in, uh, in Ephesus, was a, a, you know, a center of activity, a, a large city with a lot of stuff going on. And so there's all different kinds of, of sin that they were getting pleasure out of. And they were being called out of that into this. And what is this? This is simply what we've been singing about this morning. And, and that is that Jesus died to become the sacrifice for your sins. Uh, these people over here would have remembered Isaiah saying things like, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Uh, that God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Uh, they laid on him the iniquity of us all, which was a precursor of what the suffering servant would be. And so they recognized that. And, and so when Jesus, when, the, when those who were Jews, uh, like the disciples, uh, who were called out of everyday life, not out of religion, who were called out of everyday life, but understood the Jewish uh, background and the scriptures of the, of the Old Testament, when they, when they saw the freedom that they had in Christ, that Jesus became their righteousness for them, Man, they were motivated. That's all they needed. Uh, they, they were motivated to, to, to turn to him, to embrace him, and, and it changed their whole perception of who God was. And, man, now from their hearts, they wanted to serve God. All right, so there was a heart change that happened for them, for those that were able to see the truth about what Jesus did for them. And that motivated them. So they were coming from this vantage point over here of works and the burden of having to do, follow all the right rules and keeping their list of rules and regulations and making sure you're following that. And, and they came to freedom in Christ. 
where all you need to do is just understand what he did for you, receive the free gift of salvation, and then the Holy Spirit will come into your life, and then you will act right. You don't have to have a list of rules to act right. You know what you need? You need a, a heart change, a heart transplant. You, you're, you know, our, our spirits were dead until Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. When he came into our lives, our spirits came to life for the first time. But we act like the spirit's still dead, and we've got to be told by people how to act. When in, in truth, if you have a relationship with Christ, that's all been changed. But what motivated them, man? It was the cross of Christ. It was looking at, at the sacrifice for their sins and saying, he did that for me. I didn't deserve that, that while I was a sinner, the Scripture says that Christ died for me. And they saw it. And, uh, and so those that stood over here at this stand, ones that took this stand, that was kind of funny. Nobody appreciated it. The ones that took this stand uh, of legalism and were able to see what Jesus did for them, their lives were transformed. All right, some of us have done that. Some of us have come, most of us have come from that to this. Uh, a number of us this morning in our prayer time before, before, we, before everything, early this morning, we're reading Scripture and just talking about how good it is. Man, how good it is to know God and to, 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 to be motivated by who we know him to be in our experience and, who he's, and, and by his Holy Spirit moving in us to know him well enough to be motivated by what we know about him. That's what he's talking about. And regardless of which side you're coming from, no matter, here you go, everybody away. Say, oh, yeah. No matter where I stand, healing is in his hands. That was another one. Y'all got that? Two stands, all right? Three stands. No matter where I stand, healing is in his hands. The scripture says that healing, healing for our sin, if we're stuck in legalism, Healing for those of us who've been called out of that and love that so much that we're coming to know God by experience and it's no longer heavy. It's, a, it's an easy yoke and, and the burden is light and we're walking through life enjoying God and enjoying each other. You know, that healing came at the hands of Christ. It came because of his death on the cross. It's by his stripes we were healed. And it's not, he's not talking about physical healing in that passage. He's talking about spiritual healing. We became whole our lives were healed when Jesus died on the cross for us. And if you're coming from a side of sin and you're saying, man, I, I don't, you know, I I've, I've, have done all I can do in this area and I've tried everything and, I, uh, man, you are in good company. Okay, there's a lot of us in this room who have tried all that sin has to offer. Maybe not all, but a lot, right? We've been, on, we've been at this stand. And I just want to tell you, no matter where you stand, healing is in his hands. Healing is coming to know God for who he is. Some of you are, are agreeing with me, but you're not getting what I'm saying. Hey, stay with us long enough. Get connected with a group of people in a small group, life group. Learn the truths that we're talking about. This is what the gospel is. And Paul wants Timothy to make sure he's preaching this clearly and that, that the people at Ephesus are helped. And so he starts off by saying, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to teach I want you to rebuke these guys who are teaching that there's something you have to add to the simplicity of the gospel. You rebuke them. Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ and Christ alone. That's it. That's enough. It's more than enough to do all that needs to be done in your heart so that you will, you will be the person you need to be. Uh, and so 
he's, he's telling them to quit, tell, the, tell those guys to quit teaching this. And then he says, also tell the people not to listen to it. And then he says, also, in addition to that, to help you guys, I want you to select elders. I want elders who, feel, who aspire to, because their hearts have been changed, they aspire to live a godly life. They want to be like Jesus. So, so those of you that aspire to that position, live it out. Now, I'm telling you this because I want you to know how to behave in the, in the household of God. We need some men and leaders who will stand up and, and go after God with all their hearts and show the fruit of that. It's beautiful. This last week I got to share uh, the gospel to life than I did with a, with a person who's been in our church uh, for the last, I, I guess, six months. Been in a small group, been in our church, probably less than that, really. I had never, had no idea of who God was. Had a little taste of, of dead religion early on in her life, but that was it. But she has been radically changed by seeing God in you. It was so sweet to be able to just come and say, okay, what you've been seeing, this is where it comes from. And to be able to say God wants to give you that relationship too. But it, it came because she saw it. And, and people in this world need to see that. No matter where they stand, that, that healing and the life of contentment and peace and joy, excitement, fun, all of that. Don't, don't make it sound like we just, a lot of times when we say joy in the Christian life, everybody says, oh, you're talking about uh, wearing a robe and singing uh, Kumbaya in heaven for eternity. No, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fun. I'm talking about a good life. I'm talking about fellowship with people. Uh, I'm talking about having, having a great time at life groups and eating together. And then when we get to share, sharing, being able to be vulnerable and honest with one another and talk about what's going on in life and, and, and letting God bring healing uh, to those areas of our life. I'm talking about awesomeness, right? If y'all have experienced that, say, oh, yeah. Okay. We are beginning to experience that. It's an awesome thing. And this community desperately needs that because there's too many in this community that are stuck here. And people over here have been seeing this and they want nothing to do with it. Would you all agree? But they do want this. If we can just show them this, just like this lady this week that I'm telling you about, she saw this in a life group full of people, in a church full of people, and she wants Jesus. So now what a beautiful thing. So elders and, and people in the body that will, that will, elders particularly, that will stand up and say, this is what it looks like it, to, to really go after God. I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. Not trying to hide those because your pastor is a, is a miserable failure most of the time, right, in his, in his flesh. Thankfully, God looks down and sees me as perfect because of Jesus. But I don't do well, and you know that. I, I mess up, you mess up. We, but we are after God. And so elders are that. Deacons are ones that serve in that way. They serve the body like Jesus served. They're good at serving. They're called to serve. And so deacons and deaconesses will be people who serve the body, but who are passionate about the relationship with God. They do it because they're pursuing God. They're not in any leadership role. They're just people that are servants. Really should be seen as the lowest of, of the low. So you got the most important, maybe, uh, in, at least in our eyes in the church, and then the, the least important, both called to what they're doing. And, of course, y'all realize that there is no importance. We're all equally important. I'm just saying the way it's seen in the eyes of people. And we're all exemplifying Christ. And so then he goes into, te- into some, some uh, specific uh, ways that the church needed to respond in Ephesus. And these things are spoken to us. And in chapter 5, we covered a bunch of the 4 and 5, we covered a bunch of those. 
What are some specific ways that this stuff shows up? And I think it's really interesting today that we, that we just are going into chapter 6. Uh, and you'll see why. Let's look at it. Chapter 6, what is another way that people who are pursuing God, who are going after God with all their hearts, who are centering their lives around and taking a stand with Christ and keeping our eyes on him, what does it look like? Here's another way it looks. Verse 1, chapter 6, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters should not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute. We don't have any masters. None of us are servants of masters. None of us are living in a master's house and have masters telling us what to do. Uh, No, but it certainly applies to us in this way. Most everybody in here either has a job or you're going to have a job, right? And in the same way, even though they didn't purchase us, our bosses did hire us. Uh, and even though they, uh, we don't live in their homes necessarily or share uh, their possessions, we are uh, paid by them, and they're responsible for providing for us and for our families. So it's a very easy connection, and you'll see that as we go through this. But let's think about our jobs. Now, why is that so interesting today? Because tomorrow is what? Now, how cool is that? You know, these little little bitty things that nobody else notices, I just really get excited about that kind of stuff. As we're teaching through 1 Timothy, the day before Labor Day, we land on this passage that talks about bosses. You know when I remembered that? This morning. That's so cool, though. And I, so I looked up Labor Day. Let me just give you what, where Labor Day came from. According to the Department of Labor, most historians emphasize one historic event in the development of, nation, of today's modern Labor Day. It was the parade of unions and a massive picnic that took place in New York City on September 5th of 1882. A bunch of labor unions, jewelers, labor, uh, labor unions, um, mechanics, labor unions, uh, carpenters, they had already begun to gather together to, to make sure that they were getting their needs taken care of. You know, in much the way labor unions work today, they stand together to make sure that employees don't take advantage of them. Uh, but labor unions have been created to represent the rights of the workers. And in May of, ni- of 1882, they began to talk about having a festival to celebrate the workforce. So that's where it came from. Uh, now, they were all about getting their stuff, getting what they deserved, having their rights, which I'm not against any of this, okay? Most of us, when we look at our jobs, we want to make sure that we're getting what we deserve, right? We work, we work for it. We want to get what we deserve. Now, some people don't work for it and want to get what they deserve. And if that's you, we might need to talk. And I think it's all of us to a certain degree. Hopefully you'll feel convicted if, you, if it is about, about through some of the things that this passage talks about. But in this, in this text, we're admonished not to stand up for our rights. But in the same way that the rest of this scripture has spoken, we are admonished to honor the Lord in the way that we relate to people in the world. So in this case, our employers. 
I mean, take the slaves in their day, purchased on an auction block, serving a master, sometimes good masters, sometimes bad masters. Uh, Paul is telling Timothy, tell them, tell the people that are in that condition, whether they have a good or bad master, to honor them, to give them all honor, which in this case is respect. So give full respect, regardless of how you're treated. It's not about your rights. It's about honoring God in the way that you work. And so I I want us to think about the way we work today. I want to just bring up six things, and we're going to be short today, and we're going to be out of here because it's Labor Day. And you're not supposed to labor on Labor Day, and this is, I'm working today. While y'all are sitting out there enjoying yourselves. All right, so first of all, he says, you know, they are to regard them as worthy of all honor. Are they worthy of all honor? Maybe not. But he says, act as though they are. Okay, and this is right on the heels, first of all, uh, um, of telling us how to respect elders who are, who are in authority over us. Remember last week we talked about elders and how you guys need to pay me more. Remember that, that conversation? If you don't, come to me. Listen to it. It's on the Internet. Uh, no, not really. But how you need to take care of, of your elder, right, of your elders, uh, especially those who have the ministry of teaching and preaching. So it really does. It says, take care of me in such a way that I don't have to worry about, um, you know, anything other than preaching the word and, and making sure that I have time to do that and do it well. Uh, and so on the heels of that, he's saying the same thing here. And, and by the way, it, it, it's, you honor by taking care of your elders. And if you have any complaint against them, then you have two or three witnesses first. And you don't listen to, to anyone's complaints against an elder unless they speak. So you might, there are people all the time in churches that disagree with their pastors and the leadership of the pastor. But, and we've kind of had this trend of, you know, of, of firing pastors because they don't do the things the way that we like. Not because they're misrepresenting the word, but because they're not giving us the kind of church we want. And we're more like Israel was in 1 Kings when God wanted to be their God, and they wanted a, or God wanted to be their king, and they wanted a king that looked like the kings from other countries. And sometimes we get so busy pursuing what a pastor wants, what we want a pastor to be for us, that we get way off. And so, regardless of whether you agree with what a pastor, where he is or where he's not, you know, you need to honor your pastor by taking care of them. And in the same way, on the heels of that, he's saying, also your bosses. Regardless of, of how they treat you, now obviously don't take abuse, but, but let God define abuse, not your fellow employers, right? But don't take abuse, but, but don't lash out against your elders, I mean against your employers. So how do we honor our bosses? Here we go. Let's just look at six things. We're going to do these quickly, so stay with me. Number one, how can you honor your boss? Number one, honor them verbally. You'll never know how much it means to your boss to just tell them they're doing a good job. I, look, I promise, many of you know, I have been in a situation before where my boss had very little that I could honor. 
And yet God convicted me over and over and over again to never speak negatively about him and to find things positive to say. I was always building him up. I built, built him up in private. I built him up in public. It was the hardest. It's one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I had to learn this lesson the hard way. And it took me four years to kind of move into that direction because when I started, I was not that guy. And I would just say, don't, if you're really having a hard time with your boss and in the place where you're working and you're ready to get out of it, then let me encourage you to hurry up and start honoring your boss because God may have you there to teach you how to honor him. He gave me four years in teaching me how to honor someone. But honor them verbally. Say positive things. Think of things. Um, man, look, it, none of us are disciplined in doing this. We're so used to saying, to letting acid and negative things come out of our mouth. We're always so used to complaining that it's hard for us to even think of positive things to say. So let me ask you to do this. And this is a good practice anyway. Set your alarm on your clock. Don't do it now, but do it. Set an alarm on your clock. During your work day, make it go off two or three times. And then when that alarm goes off, ask God to give you something that you can say to your boss that will make them uh, understand that you are honoring them. Uh, you'll be shocked at how just, just a change of words will change the way their attitudes are. I did an experiment when I was, in te- when I was a youth minister. Um, I, we had uh, so many. I, I had heard a statistic that 80% of what comes out of a teenager's mouth is a cut or slander to somebody. And y'all probably remember that <laughs> when you were a teenager. Some of you can't remember that you ever were a teenager. But those of you that are a little bit closer can remember that everything that you say is always about somebody. It's, even, it's always cutting people down. Are you cutting them down to their face? You, blah, blah, blah. It's always making fun of the most outstanding characteristic. If they got a big head, we call them big head. You know, if they got a, I got a marble on the end of my nose, you know, whatever. We got these things. We make, we make fun of them. That's, that was what it was. And so we, we did an experiment. We cut out these little, uh, we drew these little pictures a little picture of a, of a guy and a girl with an a arrow going through them and their tongue hanging out of their mouth. And we told our students when they would come to youth program on Wednesday night, uh, everybody gets in, we put them on stickers. All of you get these stickers. And you, when someone cuts you down or says something negative about somebody else, put the sticker on them. Stick it on their back. Uh, and then we're going to look at each other's backs. Whenever the, whenever, the youth, whenever the youth is over tonight, shocking, shocking. It's what, it's what we're used to. It's what we grow up in. We're just so fed on negativity and pessimism. You know, we like to have something to say negative about people. So you're going to have to train yourself to say positive things, but do it. Train yourself. It's something you know. All right, everybody with me? You know God wants you to do it. All right, so do something to make it happen. You got to take it from the inside and make it happen on the outside. So set some alarms. Okay, I'm going to ask you all this week what time your alarm is set if I see you. All right, do it. Number two, don't whine or complain to them or to other employees. There are proper channels to go to your boss and tell them, hey, I've got some issues that I really want to talk about. And if you're coming to them having already honored them verbally, with, a, with regularity, they're going to be ready to receive you. They're, they're not going to be turning and going, you know, acting like they're doing something when you walk into the door. They're going to receive you in their office. 
And you've already set the stage to be able to speak any complaints that you might have. But don't be a whiner and a complainer. You know, I, I don't know how employees handle that th- these days because everybody, there's so much uh, that uh, entitlement. You know, everybody expects to have all these favors done for them uh, in the workforce. And so don't be that person. Man, honor your boss by not only encouraging them verbally, but not whining and complaining. And, and please don't do it to other employees. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to. Can you imagine what happens when, when somebody comes uh, or when you over and if a boss overhears two of you talking about them? How discouraging that is. You know, you might think that your boss is a, uh, has no heart, <laughs> and it may be true. There is a heart in there somewhere, and the only way that heart's going to come alive is when you start living like Jesus and giving them what they don't deserve. Give them grace. Give them mercy. Love on them whether they deserve it or not. Give them honor even when they accuse you. Treat them like Jesus did the ones that hung him on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. From a compassionate heart, ask God to give you that for your boss in such a way that you don't whine and complain to them or to other employees. Because not only does it mess you up and mess your boss up, but it also messes up employees. Everybody's got a little bit of a problem with their boss, except the people that work with me. But everybody else has problems with their boss. You know, and so it doesn't take much to pull that out of somebody. Y'all get what I'm saying? Everybody feeling me? All right. Number three, not only do we need to encourage them verbally and not whine and complain to them or to other employees, but do what they ask you to do when they ask you to do it and with a good attitude. Again, try to get in their shoes. What does that look like? If, if you've never owned a business, you don't know what it looks like or feels like to be the owner. But imagine yourself in their shoes. Imagine owning the business and trying to get things done and, and how disappointing it is when people don't show up for work. You know, they're, they're always late or they call in and say, I can't make it with a fake voice. I can't. Oh, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, we all know the games, right? Show up for work. Be there on time and, and, and be a diligent worker. Be there early. Take five, ten minutes. I know these are practical things, but I'm just, it's what we need today, okay? It's, you get the day off tomorrow. You can think about these things, but, but be on time. Be early. Let your boss know that you care enough uh, to show up early. You know, we've been talking about life group members. And uh, Talitha has put together a, a life group manual, and part of the, one of the responsibilities that she has for life group members, if you guys haven't read that yet, is to show that you value the group by showing up early. I mean, Pete, look, if you show up early, I just at church, as your pastor, if you show up here early, uh, rather than at the last minute sliding in, you're showing me that you value this, and you make me feel good about what God's doing here. Now, I don't have to have that, but I'm just telling you how I feel, and, and you feel that way too. If there's something that you're putting on, a, a, you know, a, a party or something, and, and people show up early to help you put it on, I mean, that's, you feel good about that, all right? So do that. Show up early, but all, uh, uh, and, and do what they ask you to do when they ask you to do it with a good attitude. It's not enough to do the job. Everybody with me? Say, oh, yeah. Everybody still awake? It's not enough just to do the tasks. 
Okay, you may have a list of things to do. It's not enough to just do those things. That's not showing Jesus. That's this. This is what we came out of is following a list of rules. You know, it, they, they need to see Christ in your heart. If they're going to see that, they need to see you honoring them by doing your work and doing it well, giving your best effort, working hard uh, without complaining, just getting your work done and getting it done on time. All right, number four, be dependable and on time. Okay, I said on time, but be dependable. Let them know that you're going to be there. Let them know that when it comes to having to figure out who am I going to have to replace today at work, you're not one of them. Let, let them know that if, that if you call in sick, they're going to a hospital somewhere to find you because they know you are dependable. You're not the kind of person that's wishy-washy. When you stepped into that, that job, you stepped in with an attitude that I'm going to be, you're, I'm going to be dependable for you, and you're going to see that and you're going to know that. You ought to be able to, we ought to be able to go, when we go to a new job, if we ever do, when we change jobs to, to with confidence know that our employer is going to be saying, please let me write you a, res, uh, a letter of reference. Not having to figure out, oh, is there anybody that I've ever worked for that would give me a good reference? <laughs> I have students all the time who ask me, would you like me to write me a letter of reference? I said, you're asking the wrong question. You need to ask, can I write you a good letter of reference? And I'm going to, you know, so do you want to ask that question? No, sir. And they, <laughs> or yes. I said, yes, I can. I'll be glad to. But, yeah, letters of reference are good. You know, what, what would your boss write about you? Would they say you can always count on Glenn? You can always count on him to be there. He's going to be on time. He's going to be early. He's a hard worker. He's, gonna be, he's not going to say negative things about you. He's dependable. You can count on him. Number five, do your work with excellence. Like you own the place. You know, people don't understand this if you've never owned a place. But when you own a place, you don't, it's like I was in Harlow's one time and I was walking around like I own the place. And most of you know I spend enough time there, people think I own the place. There was a new guy in town, and I struck up a conversation with him. Of course, I'd already come from behind the counter where I got my own stuff, you know, and, you know, visiting with all the employees. But uh, this this guy, after I was, after we were done, you know, we sat, and then Talitha and I sat in our normal corner table and stayed there for about an hour, hanging out and drinking coffee. And so this guy saw all this activity, and then, uh, you know, I met him when I came in, and then he was, when I was leaving, he was still there, and so I shook his hand. He said, hey, do you own the place? And Jan laughed on the other side of the counter, the real owner of the place. She said, yeah, right. The owner sits over in the corner and drinks coffee all morning. Yeah, right. You know, when you own the place, you're watching everything to make sure everything goes well. You're working hard, man. Any of you that have owned a business or, you know, you've been in charge of something, man, you work hard because it's yours. And you know whether it sinks or swims dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon your employees. It's dependent upon you. And so get in the skin of your boss who's saying, I'm concerned about whether this is going to be successful or not. I'm concerned about whether my employees are going to have jobs and whether or not I'm going to be able to provide for my family. And so get in their skin and and work hard like you own the place. All right? Owners are going to be there when nobody else is. All right, number six, make a commitment to longevity whenever possible. 
commit to staying at the same job. One of the worst things today in the workforce is that, and, you know, this is a problem, the same problem for anybody that has management of, of and, and employs students or people who are laborers is that they, they won't stay. I remember when I was growing up, some of you would say, well, that was in the 40s, wasn't it? And I was in the 70s. I remember when I was growing up, and some of you just went, what? You were alive in the 70s? I mean, working in the 70s? In the 70s, I remember if you got a job, you kept it. You didn't quit your job for anything. Man, I'm working this job. I'm going to work hard, and I, please don't fire me. I'm keeping this job. And, and, uh, and managers didn't even have uh, – we owned a, a, a burger place in Rain, and we didn't even keep uh, resumes on file. There were no applications on file. The only applications were there is if we needed somebody or looked like we were going to, and we would ask for them. Nowadays, as a manager, if you don't have 100 resumes on file that you've already sifted through and marked check, X, or whatever, you're in trouble because you're going to need those 100 probably before the, during the next six months. Longevity is important. You can't always give people a promise for that. Because here's what we believe at the gathering place, and the Scripture is very clear about this, is God guides us from day to day, right? The Holy Spirit may call you to a job temporarily and then move you to something else. But I can tell you that it does not honor God for us to just be people that say, well, I'm going to stay until I have something I want to do, and then they don't let me off, and then I'm out of here. And that's kind of the attitude these days. And what's unfortunate about all of these things is that as Christians, it's Christians. In this community, it's believers who are not following these patterns, who are not living and honoring their bosses in the way that they work. It's Christians. It's believers. And so what are, what's the world seeing? The world is not seeing Jesus. Now, does that even matter? Yes, it does. Look at the text again. First of all, it matters for unbelieving bosses. He says, uh, so that the name of God and the teaching, and his teaching might not be reviled. Now, he's talking about for unbelieving masters here. So for unbelieving bosses, it matters. Here's what's happened in our community. Y'all with me? Um, you will agree with this. Here's what's happened in our community. There are so many people who call themselves Christians in this community who, are, who go and are sorry workers and are not doing any of the things that we talked about, but instead are doing the opposite of what we talked about that they've given God a bad name to people over here. So people over here are saying, man, if they got a Christian that's coming in the door, if, if, they, if you make it known in any way that you're a believer, they don't want you. It's not a plus, it's a minus. In, in Scripture, Paul is telling Timothy here, he says, man, live in such a way that, that the teaching of, of God, that this teaching is not reviled by unbelievers. In the same way that non-Christian wives would love their spouses or husbands would love their spouses in order to let them see Jesus, we need to honor our bosses for eternal purposes. It's to honor God. It's not to, it's not to keep our job. Honor your boss because your boss needs to see Jesus. We are the representatives of God. We have taken our stand to be in love with Jesus and to pursue him and to live like him. And these people need to see it. And our bosses in many cases, are these people. So we need to honor them. But also, 
believing bosses. Many of you have bosses who are believers. They stand over here, and you kind of relax because they're believers, and you can play the Jesus card on them, right? Because they, they hire you and say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. I go to church, and, man, I can't believe you're going to fire me. I thought you were a Christian. We use, and, we, and we're not good workers, and we expect to, to play that card. Maddie told me it was a bad idea for me to, to go into uh, property management. Um, in retrospect, she didn't know what property management was when I went into it. But when we first moved here 20 years ago, I got some properties, and I was going to rent them out. And I had three, four plexes, so I had 12 apartments that I thought, man, they were already rented. And I thought, well, this is easy. I'll buy the place, and the money's already there. Well, they learned how to take advantage of a Christian who's a manager or who owns the place. Very quickly, they, were, they, they knew that if they could say, well, you know, I just need a little help, and and I'd give it to them, and before long, I lost my shirt, almost lost my pants. I mean, it was all of it. I was a horrible situation. But we, we've learned that. Some of you have learned that about your believing bosses, that you can play the Jesus card. Students do it at LC all the time. Our Christian studies students, some of them are in here today. You know, Christian studies students will come in and they, they, for one of their Christian studies classes and turn in paper later and not show up and say, well, I was praying all weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know, it is bad. So if that's you, I expect you to come down the aisle today. But you get the picture. Uh, and what does he say about believers? Look at verse 2. He says, those who have believing masters must, must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service, are believers and beloved. You should work even harder for your believing bosses because here's what your believing bosses are probably doing. Is they're giving back to the Christian community. They're blessing other believers and brothers. They are taking care of believers and taking care of people within the body. So you ought to even work even harder and be a, to be a part of that. All right, so in a nutshell, and we're done. We'll do a little praying and worship to close out today. And my, my, I would ask you to do this. Let, these, let this message fall where, where it does in you. Don't explain these things away. And please don't just leave this message in the, in the auditorium. And what I mean by that is walk out and never even think about it again. There's six points. This message will be on the Internet today before, before you get home. Uh, so if you need to listen to it again, go. But one of the best ways church one of the best ways that we can take our stand as believers who love God and who are who are being transformed by the person of Christ and our discovery of his goodness who have, whose lives have been drawn to Jesus because of how good he was to us and the grace that he gave to us the best way one of the best ways that we can show Jesus is to be good workers be good workers get take your job seriously Bless your employer. And by the way, all the people around you that see how good a worker you are. And let's change the reputation that some employers have of believers in this community. All right, let's pray. Father, we've been challenged by this today. And uh, God, this affects nearly everybody in the room. And so I, I just pray, God, that we won't 
buy into and act like we're part of the world, but instead that we will be kingdom employees. Lord, living like we're in another world and from another world, because we are. That we would honor Jesus the way that, that he honored us, that we would give selflessly in the context of our jobs. And just as really, God, just as a practice for living life. God, may we be people who encourage others verbally. We're willing to use our words to bless people. As Paul said, encouraging others. Let your words always be encouraging. God, take away our whining and complaining attitudes. Take away our tendency to do that, God. We have the power by your spirit. You said that we don't have to walk in these sins anymore. So give us the power and the motivation to do that. Let today's message motivate us to quit whining and complaining. God, help us to be diligent in our work, to do what we're asked to do, to do it well, with a good attitude, when we're asked to do it. Help us to be dependable and on time, early for work, God, to bless our bosses and to do our work with excellence. And Father, uh, I pray for longevity for those of us that uh, that have jobs. God, that you will give us favor by giving us jobs that we can stay in for a while. And Lord, whether our bosses are good or bad, we have the same task before us. We want to show Jesus. So, by your power, God, give us strength to do that.